Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. I am so thrilled to bring you this conversation with Swanee Simon. This is a super important topic, especially in regards to safe herbs for dogs and cats. Stay tuned to hear about what herbs are safe for dogs and what herbs are safe for cats, as well as are there cautions to be aware of when using herbal medicine for cats and dogs? I met Swanee years ago and her depth of knowledge was immediately apparent. Our mutual friend, Christophe Bernard, says that Swanee is one of the most generous and kind people he has ever met in his life, and I wholeheartedly agree. Because I'm often asked about working with herbs and pets, I decided to throw my usual condensed podcast formula out the window and instead leaned into Swanee's expertise to hear her many insights on working safely with herbs for dogs and cats. For those of you who don't already know Swanee, she's an animal herbalist and naturopath who was born in Germany but lived in the United States for 30 years after her family moved to New York when she was just one years old. She spent her youth in the suburbs of New York with frequent trips to Europe followed by several years in Greensboro, North Carolina to study. Later, she lived in Florida and Texas and returned permanently to Europe in 1992, living in both Germany and France. Her love of animals and nature was apparent from a very young age, and she has spent her life working with animals and learning everything she could about them. Influenced by Juliette de Berkeley-Levy, she went on to become an herbalist, a TCVM practitioner, and a naturopath for animals. Juliette de Berkeley-Levy went on to become a dear friend and lived at Swanee's farm in Germany for several years. Swanee is highly specialized in the natural rearing and treatment of dogs and cats and is one of Europe's most renowned authors, teachers, and herbalists. She is credited with making the subject of raw diet for dogs and cats popular in Europe and has written several best-selling books on the subject. Today, Swanee lives on a beautiful farm in the high forest region of Germany with four dogs, five cats, two horses, about 20 goats, and a gang of chickens. She splits her time between her farm in Germany and her home in the beautiful Provence region of southern France. Swanee has been teaching herbalism, TCVM, and dog and cat nutrition since 2005, and online classes in Germany since 2014. She's planning online classes in English starting in 2023. Welcome to the podcast, Swanee. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you here. It's good to be here. Well, Swanee, I've known you for, wow, it's been six or seven years now, I think. I got to know you during our intensive time in France where you came already, like you could have taught the class <laughs> and uh, you came very knowledgeable and, and added so much and on so many levels. And it's really just my pleasure to be here with you and to talk about a subject that I get asked about all the time, which of course is herbs with animals. And I'd love to just begin with, you know, who are you? When, when did you start falling in love with animals and, and how did that, you know, how did you find yourself on this path? Okay, so basically my parents tell me ever since I could walk, I was chasing after every animal I saw. So that seems to have started very early. And I could never have a dog until I was like 14. So I used to jump over fences. I knew every animal in the neighborhood. Hmm. And people used to call me actually when their pets were sick when I was a kid. You know, and I'd say, well, you can do this or take it to the vet, you know. So then when I got a dog at 14, since I was a weird kid anyway and read a lot of books, I was became a nutrition expert at 14, you know. 
<laughs> I was really interested in that subject. You know, I used to work in dog kennels and I was responsible for feeding the dogs and I got onto this path of fresh foods for dogs pretty early. I used to fly to Germany to buy German Shepherds for breeders in the States. <laughs> so I think it was 1986 or something, I had to fly to Germany to a dog show. I didn't have a book to read because back then you needed to have a book to read on the plane, you know, way back then. Somebody had given me the herbal handbook for the dog and I'd thrown it in my shelf like, ah, oh, herbs, you know, Who's, who cares about herbs? And I never read it. And I thought it's better than nothing. So I took it with me on the flight and read it. And a lot of it's about nutrition. And I was fascinated. You know, I read it twice on that flight. And then wow. I was, I thought, you know, there must be something to all this herb stuff. And that got me kind of interested in, in herbs, you know. And yeah, from there on, I just, yeah, I didn't have any money. So I had to learn a lot by myself from books and stuff. Yeah, and then I moved to Germany when I was 30. And then I did a training to be what we call a Tierheilpraktiker. That means like a holistic practitioner. So you're not a vet. It's like a three-year training. It's pretty intense. You have to learn a lot. And you can do all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm very specialized in herbal medicine, Chinese medicine, do like acupuncture. And of course, nutrition. Nutrition is my, what I'm known for most here in Europe. I kind of introduced the concept of raw diets to Germany and Europe. So, hmm. yeah. And um, later you went from like herbs to then becoming friends with Juliet the... Help me with her last name, Juliet de Barclay Levy. Juliet de Barclay Levy, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, I was so fascinated by her book because she wrote about vaccinations. She wrote about a lot of things where I just thought, wow, you know, these are like my thoughts, right? I wanted to see if she was still alive somewhere. I wanted to know more about her, you know, if I could track her down. And I'm a little bit obsessive when I want to know something. So I hunted her down and finally caught up to her, I think she was in upstate New York somewhere. I remember the first time I was going to have a phone call with her. I was so excited. I, I couldn't even sit. I was just, <laughs> I was like freaking out. You'd think she was a rock star. Oh, she is. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of hit it off and we talk on the phone a lot. And then I kind of got from Tish Streeton, who did the film Juliet of the Herbs. She's always kind of taken care of Juliet that Juliet needed a place to stay. And I was like, here. <laughs> so then she came to Germany and stayed with me for a while. And then she, you know, she'd come stay a while and then she'd go somewhere else. And so the last years of her life, she spent quite a lot of time. In fact, she lived in here where I'm sitting right now. Oh, wow. And we had a, we put in a wood stove cause she liked to sit in front of the fire in her bedroom. What's that room over there? Yeah, I picked up one of her books in anticipation of our conversation, just because I wanted to remember Juliet and and the I'd opened it up to different sections and and she was in one section she was really opposed to Pasteur's germ theory, which was you know becoming more and more accepted now, but way ahead of her time in terms of that you know where a lot of people were really into just killing everything and not looking at the environment. And she's really she had some deep insights and she um, was way ahead of her time what's also fascinating is like today everybody's an expert you know you google like i can see when i ask my students tell me something about calendula you know they're all googling right <laughs> so don't google just tell me what you know when she was she wanted to be a vet first and went to veterinary school and then she quit that because she didn't like it and then she learned about herbs by traveling through the entire world that means like she would take a trip for like three months to afghanistan to learn about two herbs. Hmm. Well, imagine acquiring your, your knowledge like that. That's just, that's a completely, and I think then you really have a completely different relationship and knowledge about the herbs when you go to those countries and see how people use them there, right? Hmm. It's really interesting. So that's something that I've always been interested in and, and it makes her story. And plus, she's a little tiny woman. I mean, she's very small. She was traveling as a woman alone in the in the 30s, you know, 20s mm -hmm. and 30s and 40s, 50s. That takes a lot of chutzpah, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
So. Yeah, I was struck. I was I picked up the um, handbook for farm and stables when I was reading, and I was struck just like how encompassing it was, how much information was in that. And it, I did think, and she was not like double checking her facts on the computer. You know, this was all like her innate knowledge that, or not innate, but at least her acquired knowledge. She was typing <laughs> on an old typewriter. Yeah. 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 It's really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So she was quite a character too. I mean, she was just a hilarious person. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just quite always left an impression. Well, so you've, so you've always loved animals and you came to herbs, you went to intensive schooling and, and I know you, you go like anything, like I see you going to courses and doing that kind of the same thing, like that you're saying that Juliet did in, in a way you do that too. I know you do going to take classes here and there, wherever you can. And yeah. you have your own particular way of you know, working with animals. And I'd love to hear about that. Like, what is Swanee's philosophy? <laughs> well, I would, I think the word is eclectic, you know. <laughs> I've learned all kinds of things. I mean, I don't even, I can't even, I've taken so many classes about so much stuff and I kind of take what makes sense to me and incorporate it into my practice. So diagnostically, I kind of do something that's TCM-ish, right? You know, you, you, you gain experiences and just see things that maybe just don't don't fit so neatly in that system. And uh, through the experience you have, you just have your own ideas about things then too, right? So, but what I do is basically I look at the entire animal, the energetics of the animal, you know, mm -hmm. where is their tension, where are their differences? Like I always tell my students to to touch both sides at the same time and see if the animal's warmer or stiffer, if there's differences, you know, just like that, to just actually feel it and see it. You know, I do tongue and pulse diagnosis, diagnostic acupoints and stuff like that. And then I do a whole history. I need about an hour and a half for a patient. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a while. Plus, you know, with dogs, I can't just say stick your tongue out or, <laughs> you know, how do you feel today? You kind of got to get a little bit of a feeling for it so like my students always say when swanee just looks at a dog and knows it's wrong but that's not actually true because i'm sure you with people somebody will walk in the door and you'll be like ah kidney person right you can you, you learn to recognize this pretty quickly so it's not magic it's something you can actually learn and you just have to practice it so what i do is i, I kind of do a an, an amnesis of the dog or cat and then I try to match a formula or herbs to the animal. And of course, one of the biggest things is nutrition. There's no, there's, you can't fix things with herbs if you're eating garbage, basically, right? So hmm. <laughs> you need to address that. And processed pet foods are just not good, you know, hmm. no matter how high quality they claim to be. It's just the whole idea of processed is unnatural, so yeah yeah could you speak more about that you know kind of i know that you that is your specialty and i just want to know more about that like what is an ideal diet for a dog i know that's kind of a, a big question there are different dogs different times of life but what yeah. is the philosophy there diet is one of the topics where where animal owners will really you know beat up themselves up in an internet forum there's a lot of arguments about it and the best diet for an animal is is one that maintains its health and that the animal can eat and and do well on. So there are dogs or cats you'll have to cook for, you know, and there are dogs and cats that can eat basically anything raw food. And then once in a while you'll have a case with an animal that's so reactive and allergic that it can literally only eat one specific brand of processed foods. If that's the situation you have, then no matter how much I, I hate that it's eating this food, I'm gonna I'm not gonna change that. You know, I mean you have to the first most important thing is always my patient. I want them to feel good and not my ideology and, and my mm -hmm. ego, but the patient has to feel good. So that's the most important thing that you don't get caught up in this kind of only my way, only this way. In my opinion, obviously, I mean, if, if I was to talk about, if we were talking about people now and I said, well, processed foods, they're great. You know, McDonald's hamburgers and stuff, they got everything you need. There's lettuce. I mean, come on. <laughs> Think I was an idiot, right? 
but when you talk about animals and you, you suggest processed foods, people are like, yeah, you know, then it's, it's scientifically formulated, you know, think of science diet and things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just, it's highly processed food and the quality of the ingredients is generally pretty bad. It's just not something that will really maintain optimal health. So the best thing you can do for a cat or a dog is fresh foods. Now, if you want to cook them or not cook them, you don't lose that many nutrients cooking depending on how you prepare the food. You know that, right? So, I mean, you can you can supplement it a little bit. But my dogs eat raw foods mm-hmm. and they don't have any trouble with it. But I've had dogs I've had to cook the food for because their digestion is just not up to it. And processed dog foods are just really highly digestible. You know, the stomach mm-hmm. doesn't have much to do. Then you start getting issues where people say, well, I switched him to raw and he's throwing up. Well, uh, of course, mm-hmm. if I'm eating processed foods, you know, they, they pass through the stomach pretty quickly. So what happens? The stomach isn't producing acid because it doesn't need to, right? So, and and then normally a dog will have a pH in the stomach after eating of one or two. I mean, they're very strong stomach acid, but it regresses with time if you're eating processed foods. Hmm. So if you're, if you're eating processed foods, there's less mixture with acids because they digest really quickly in the stomach. They kind of fall apart and the chymus comes in the duodenum. The pH is higher than it would normally be. And then, you know, the pancreas does what the pancreas does, enzymes bicarbonate water to neutralize the acid that isn't really there. So the pH in the intestines goes higher, mm-hmm. which, which is then an ideal environment for pathogenic bacteria and parasites. So one thing leads to another. And then you have these dogs that just can't get rid of a Giardia infection because they're mm-hmm. not eating right. So when you're switching a dog from processed foods to fresh foods, one herb or some herb or class of herbs that is really helpful here it can be bitters. And they have the same effect hmm. on animals as they do on people. So this will help get the normalize the stomach acids, right? So that they can digest better, but it will take a little bit of time. So at the beginning, it might make more sense to grind the meat hmm. and maybe even cook it because it's easy, it's more digestible that way. Mm-hmm until the stomach starts returning to its normal function. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just important not to get so caught up in this, you know, he's only going to get meat and bones. You know, a dog that's eaten processed food for six, seven years is going to have trouble digesting bones. Yeah, so would you recommend, like, if somebody wanted to move from a processed food to raw but whole cooked foods, would you recommend bitters? Would you also recommend, like weaning them off you know it's like all of a sudden one day they just get you know meat and bones but maybe it's like they get an increase increasing amount of whole foods and decreasing amount of processed foods you can do that but some dogs will have problems with that you know Mm -hmm. the processed dry food especially tends to get gassy in the stomach it creates just more gas so that can be a problem but it can be helpful it can be helpful like to just start cooking and then reduce the cooking times over a period of like two or three months, you know. But really, I kind of depend, it depends on the dog, like young animals, puppies, kittens, you can switch them immediately. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they're not destroyed yet. So, mm-hmm. But older dogs, especially old dogs, have to be very careful and they may never be able to eat bones. Mm-hmm. You know, they you just have to use something else. So, you know, just a little common sense, actually. And mm-hmm. so it can make sense to to gradually switch them, but some dogs will have some problems with that. So you just have to see. Yeah, right? I I, pre- I really appreciate your specific approach of common sense and also really listening to the patients and seeing what they really need rather than a, a dogmatic view yeah. of you know this or that. I wanted to mention, or I wanted to see if you'd mentioned bitters in particular. Like, are there bitters that you tend to use for this process? Bitter oh, yeah. yeah. I have my favorite bitters. Well, I tend to use herbs. It's another one of my little things, but I like to use herbs that, that grow in my environment because I think they're, you know, they're in the same environment as me. So I try to use things that grow here. What I use a lot is a Rumex. Burdock is the best dog plant. <laughs> so is that yellow? Do so you use Rumex, like yellow dock root? and Yellow dock root. Yeah, mm-hmm. burdock root. 
I use I like to use uh, root herbs too, like the liver herbs, which are almost always bitter for dogs with allergies too, because I've just mm -hmm. found that you know, especially if you tincture them, there's not a lot of allergic potential then. You know, you're you're not having any pollens underground, so, mm -hmm. so that can be helpful, yeah. right? So so that can be helpful in in different ways because you know these these bitter herbs they're usually also liver herbs, or if you have one like burdock is like the the best herb because it's a liver herb, it's a kidney herb, it's a lymph lymphatic herb. I've never had anybody not tolerate it. It's a mm -hmm. super well tolerated herb. It's very doggy. You know when you when you look at the burdocks. They're really annoying because what do they do? They stick in your animals first, so they're right. they're kind of like saying, you know, "Pick me, right?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and so, when you're giving the herbs to the dogs, are you giving them like the fresh root chopped up, or you know, dried root cooked, or how do you like to give it? All of the above, basically. For my patients, I'll go outside and say, "Look, that's burdock," but. I guess it's when you when you do something too long, you sometimes lose the ability to see how difficult it is for somebody that is starting out mm -hmm. to identify burdock. Like to me, it's like screaming burdock, right? <laughs> but I guess people are just very unsure of of digging up the right plant, which is mm -hmm. you know if you're not a hundred percent sure, don't use it. So we sell dried burdock in in my company, you know, dried burdock ground root. And I use tinctures a lot with mm. animals. Okay. And you, I mean, you could use a tea, and you can also feed the the fresh roots, obviously, mm -hmm. and even the leaves and the seeds you can use too. <laughs> it's a very useful plant. Mm -hmm. It is. I feel like you know when I when I was in clinical practice all the time, even now as a teacher, I get questions like, "I have this problem. What herb do I take for it?" and and I'm always like, whoa, <laughs> wait, hold on here. You know, it is looking about the whole person. And so often these other things like, you know, diet or lifestyle really play a huge role in the healing process. And herbs, I always think of like, I, in my mind, I think of a pie chart, you know, and like herbs might be like 30%, which is a really important percentage in the healing process, but we can't forget about sleep or diet, et cetera, you know, all these different parts to make the whole yes. So I'm getting that sense that that's, you know, it's not like that working with animals. It's called holistic medicine because right. it's whole. So yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't just treat one aspect and ignore the rest. You know, if you've got a dog outside on a chain, miserable, you've got to treat that too. If yeah. you've got an unemployed border collie, he needs a job as well, right? Mm -hmm. So these things you have to treat. And then, of course, you know, diet, lifestyle, all these things play a huge role. My patients always they get supplements, they get herbs, they get recommendations, tips, tricks, and then they get uh, dietary advice always. Right. Mm. But, you know, they know when they come here, they kind of expect that with the nutrition. So. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about are there like general maintenance herbs that you love for dogs and also for cats? Like you mentioned that you love burdock a lot. Mm -hmm. but are there things like, you know, if somebody, you know, lives with a dog or a cat, are there herbs that maybe they could think about of like, like I think of like nettle, like I love nettle for myself. It's not that I yeah. take it for a particular ailment. It just, I feel great when I am working with nettle regularly. So is there something like some herbs like that that you think of for dogs and cats? Sure. And, you know, the great thing is, especially dog owners, they walk their dogs. So they're basically out every day. So I just encourage them to pick some dandelion leaf, some nettle leaf, some cleavers. Cleavers are great. You know, stuff out some burdock, just to learn a few herbs that they can safely pick some chickweed. You can all stick that in their food on a regular basis. Plus burdock. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful herb, but at the same time, it's relatively mild. It's very and then as a supplement, I often recommend rose hips. Hmm. Yeah, I started selling rose hips like 20 years ago. And now every last herb place for pets in Europe sells rose hips. It's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a good way to, to get some extra nutrients and mm -hmm. uh, vitamin C and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then I have different herb mixtures that I make to sell which is different than what I do in practice because my preference is always to make a very specific mixture for, for each animal. 
Mm. But that's not realistic. You know, not everybody can come here and sit here for an hour and a half and mix their own herbs. So we we sell some mixes that are kind of, and they have herbs like like burdock, like nettle seeds, depending on what they're for. They'll have some alfalfa, some kelp, stuff like mm. that, right? They're just kind of, it's just to tonify different organs. We have different mixtures. Right? Mm. So that's something you can do. If you're going to pick herbs in the wild, you have to be 100% sure that you have the right plant. You really need to. And and also pick each one. You know, like some herbs, you could have something poisonous growing between it. So you don't just grab a handful. You're going to have to pick each one, something like ramsons, right? Where you could have, you know, people in Europe every year, some people die when they're picking ransoms because they eat, I think, crocus or something like that. They pick something. Mm. I don't know how you can confuse them, but they do. Yeah. So you want to be careful with things like that. Are there herbs that are generally safe for humans, but just not okay for dogs and cats, things that people need to keep in mind? Uh, with cats, for sure. As, cats are uh, very sensitive to sa- salicylates, right? Mm-hmm. How do you say it? Salicylates. Salicy- I think you said it right. Salicylates. Salicylates. So, <laughs> so like willow meadow sweet things like that you won't use for a cat that's good to know and then also cats have their liver functions different their enzymes are always active in the liver so they're more susceptible to toxicity from essential oils mm. right? and one thing i'm a little bit concerned about is aromatherapy has become very popular and now it's everything that becomes popular with humans eventually comes into the animal world you know, dogs and cats have an incredible sense of smell. I've read that a dog can can still detect one drop of urine and 60 million drops of water. Wow. Just imagine going in a perfume store and when you walk in, somebody pours a bucket of whatever over your head and you have to walk around like that for a week. Mm-hmm. You probably wouldn't feel very happy. Mm-hmm. We really need to be careful with essential oils with animals just because of the odor it's quite an assault on their senses and also with cats a lot of essential oils are very toxic for cats so Mm -hmm. there's lists in the internet like in my classes i have lists there's a few that you can use but i always think why right Mm -hmm. you know some people will try to do flea and tick repellents with essential oils and i've read recommendations where they have uh, 300 drops in 100 milliliters of pure alcohol and i'm like you cannot do that with a dog or a cat yeah that's just cruel Mm -hmm. maybe be careful with that i think the best i've seen some people that use aromatherapy with animals where they let the animal come and sniff it that's a sensible way to use it Mm -hmm. but pouring these essential oils on on them where they can't escape from that odor i think something that you should be careful with um, I think I skipped over if there's, I know that cats are, are very different in their, in terms of their diet and everything, but are there general herbs for cats that you find to be useful? I usually don't supplement herbs just in, without a reason for cats because, you know, normally I, I think cats should be allowed to go outside and then, you know, they'll partake on their own. Mm-hmm. like that if you have a house cat i don't know what they call it in english we have like cat grass that they can mm-hmm. nibble on also there's some house plants that are quite toxic for cats so you'd want to be careful with that mm-hmm. but you know apropos cats as far as a raw diet a fresh food diet cats are obligate carnivores for cats it's even more important the main diseases cats get is kidney failure diabetes and and gingivitis tooth and gum disease which is directly, my opinion, related to diet. Hmm. So my cats all eat raw food. They chew chicken wings. They chew bones. They have, you know, they're they're spectacularly healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but dried, because cats normally, a cat would hunt several times a day. So cats in nature would get almost all the water they need from their prey animals that they eat. They, hmm. so cats, in, the nature of cats is that they don't drink much at all. They're not Mm. thirsty. Dogs are different since they pant. They need a lot of water. Mm. So when they're eating dry food, they'll make up for the missing moisture by drinking. But cats won't. So when cats are getting dry food, they're just chronically dehydrated. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, that's not good for the kidneys or anything. Mm-hmm. So that's something where, where diet plays a huge role. On the other hand, it's extremely difficult to switch a cat's food. You have yes. to be, so best is to mm-hmm. raise them that way. Mm-hmm. My cats won't touch processed foods. The kids, yeah, they don't. Eat, yeah. Like, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. yeah. I, so. I have a story I want to share about my cat. Our cat was given to us by another, and we instantly fell in love with him. And it's our first, my first cat as an adult. So I'm kind of like anxious, like wanting to do everything right and make sure he's okay. Well, this one time he got sick and he didn't eat for a day. I was like, hmm, that's weird. They didn't eat for two days. So I started looking on the internet and I read, it's very important that cats eat and you don't want, you know, they, they can't go a long time without eating. Right. So I took him to the vet because I didn't know what to do, you know, so I took him to the vet. The vet was very thorough, did a hands-on thing. And, and they, the vet said, well, it doesn't feel like the cat is constipated, but that's probably my best guess. And then she gave me a, you know, constipation medicine, laxative. And showed me the thing that was most helpful is she showed me how to give the medicine to the cat, you know, holding him and had a little syringe to like put it back in his mouth and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay. And I said, how often do I need to give this to him? She said, oh, every day. And I said, for how long? She was probably for the rest of his life. Wow. And I was immediately like, whoa, like, we don't even know if that's the problem. So <laughs> I got home and like, you know, I started opening up my books on cats and trying to figure it out. And I read about slippery elm being helpful in this situation. Yeah. So I didn't even touch the laxative and I made up the slippery elm and I don't know, you know, probably the slippery elm helped. Maybe the cat was just, didn't want me to give him slippery elm anymore. So he, he started eating again and it's been fine ever since, but I was so grateful to know about slippery elm. And I was kind of uh, honestly a little bit horrified that the recommendation was to give this laxative for the rest of his life. Cause that just immediately was red, you know, red flags for me. Like that doesn't make sense. I'm wondering what are there other things that like herbs are just really remarkable for that maybe people are you know often turning to more drastic measures. Oh yeah, I mean I don't know how many examples do you want. (laughs) (laughs) I am trying to work up to your recipe, but you know let's hear some other examples and I'll. Well, my recipe isn't really for dramatic problems. I have different formulas for things like anaplasmosis, leishmaniosis, Lyme disease. And then people buy it because we only sell it for animals and they buy it and give it to people. (laughs) And (laughs) apparently it works there too. So that's (laughs) good to know. (laughs) One of the big things is like Giardia. You know, (laughs) you'll see puppies with Giardia and they go to the vet and they get worm medicine. It's usually panicure or something like that for five days, which doesn't really get rid of the Giardia, you know. And so they'll test negative for Giardia, but then they get diarrhea. And so they go back to the vet and then they get antibiotics, right? And all this makes no sense to me, but this is what happens. And then after the antibiotics, then they have Giardia again. And I've seen dogs, they're one year old and they've been through the cycle like six or seven mm-hmm. times and they're really sick and only mm-hmm. a year old. Mm-hmm. Their digestion is destroyed. And Giardia is, is relatively easy to get rid of. You know, first of all, diet, you know, they prefer carbohydrates. So a raw, fresh food diet without grains or potatoes is the best thing you can do. And then the microbiome is like, what a subject, right? Mm-hmm. So probiotics is the next important thing. So you starve the Giardia, you give the, the, the intestines some good bacteria, and that's usually enough to get rid of them. And then if you wanted to, you could use a herb like Hydrastis, what is that, Golden Seal? Golden Seal, yeah. Will work there. Colloidal silver will work. Mm-hmm. MSM will work. You know, simple. You don't even need to really go to herbs. But there's quite a few herbs that are effective there. You, you'll never hear me say that a treatment works all the time, except with this one, with Giardia. It works always. Mm-hmm. I've never had it not work. Mm-hmm. And it has no side effects. You don't destroy the digestion, the dogs. It takes, you have to do this for eight to 12 weeks. I have a protocol mm-hmm. that I have them follow and they do it for eight to 12 weeks and then they're gone and they stay gone. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that I find so what did Albert Einstein said? He said the, the definition of insanity is if you keep on doing the same thing and expecting a different result. 
and this is just seems insane to me like that you know just keep on giving this treatment even though it's obviously not working mm -hmm. the animal sicker so that's one really good example right and then a yeah. lot of digestive issues kidney issues a lot of a lot of the patients like well, let's say 99% of the patients i get here they've been through everything they spent hundreds or thousands of euros on treatments. They've been to all kinds of clinics. Nobody knows what's wrong because the blood panel's okay, so the animal's healthy. And then you have a, a cat or a dog covered in sores, you know, and they say, well, it doesn't have anything because the blood panel's okay. And you, mm -hmm. that's kind of horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and they sit here and cry at the patients because they just... Mm -hmm. They're just so done and it's horrible because they feel so helpless. And a lot of these animals, just by looking at the energetics, I don't really, like I treat disease patterns. I don't need a name. I don't care what it's called. Like if they come and say, well, it's IBD or IBS, well, it pretty much means they don't know what's wrong anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. For me, it's a, it's a spleen key deficiency or something like that. These are the kind of disease patterns. And I try to, you know, I try to get it back. This dog was supposed to be put down because she uh, got run over in Greece. Mm -hmm. Her her hips really messed up. All her bones are, were broken. And she's almost 10 years old now. And imagine, this is the most incredible animal I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's like a little person. Yeah, she is so um, sweet. So, you can you can do so much i've had so many hopeless cases here or, or dogs that were supposed to be put down that were you know fine some of them you can get them back to almost perfect health and others you can always get an improvement but you know you can't fix everything obviously mm -hmm. and animals are like people like i'm tall i'm six foot one so guess what kind of problems I have, right? Back pain, <laughs> slouching. So, you know, different people tend to have different problems. Everybody has, let's say, one area in their body that's more sensitive. And it's the same with animals. You'll have, like my retriever, he gets excited really, really easily. He, he's, you know, he's always afraid to do something wrong. So he gets stressed out. So he, he'll have stomach problems if he's going to have a problem, hmm. right? And Tessa's a busybody, so you know she has busybody problems. And yeah, you know, every dog is, and every cat is different. So mm -hmm. you get to recognize these types of animals too: the liver types, the intestine types, the stomach types, the skin types. You can just see them, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the recipe that you're sharing with us is one that I love because it's so practical, and I know many people will be able to to use with their furry friends and it's swanny's paw salve yeah it's a it's a real simple recipe and i guess you could switch it up a little bit but i made it quite a few times and tried to get it so because with when you put on a dog's paw a salve you know they're walking around your house so you don't want it to, to be too oily right and you don't want them to slip and at the same time it needs to be uh good enough so it can like draw into the pads of the feet so what you have in the winter i don't know if it's the same in the states but they spray a lot of salt everywhere for the ice and snow mm -hmm. and then the dogs walk on that and if they have a little crack in their pads that's quite painful rubbing mm -hmm. salt in the wound so yeah. you can put you can put the salve on there before you go out and also at, when you come back maybe rinse the feet and put the salve on to kind of heal it up so that works quite well. Well, thank you so much for sharing that recipe with us. And for the listeners, if you'd like to download your recipe card with the full recipe, then you can visit the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com and get that copy. When, when I was at the IHS, I shared a recipe, which I was sure everybody knew and, and nobody knew it. And I was quite surprised mm -hmm. and, and making like this thick carrot soup for diarrhea. Hmm. And in Germany, like everybody knows this, but it seemed like in America, nobody knows this. So I'd love to give you that recipe. It is one of the best treatments for diarrhea, whether it's children or animals. Yeah. And it's super simple. You just boil carrots with a little bit of salt to death and then use one of these, what do you call them? 
immersion blenders. Thank you. And just make this thick soup and feed that a couple of times. It's the best diarrhea medicine there is. Oh, awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Carrot soup. Carrot soup. <laughs> yeah. You need to spread that around America because it's really so simple and it works great with kids too. Hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I asked my friends on social media questions that they might have for you. And one question that just kept getting repeated over and over was advice for caring for both elderly dogs and for elderly cats. Okay. Elderly dogs and cats, the age isn't really the problem. It's just, it's the same with old people. The older you get, the more illnesses you're going to have, you know, your joints hurt, you get tired more easily, your digestion is sluggish or you don't see as well, you don't hear as well you know, these kinds of problems and, and pets have the same problems. So to just say in general for old pets, there's a few things you should watch out for. I have a good article in German, but I'll have to translate it into English. It's basically common sense again. Just think of what happens when you get older. Like dogs don't hear, a lot of dogs and cats, one of the first senses they lose is their sense of hearing. What you'll notice with dogs, for example, is that they start barking more and barking earlier when at noises because they can't really identify them hmm. that doesn't mean they're being bad it may be that they just don't hear as well right mm -hmm. especially with kidney disease any kind of kidney disease you're going to have ear issues hmm. chinese medicine right yeah i was going to say that's a really great chinese medicine yeah. well it's true though yeah yeah so if your dog is losing its hearing you might or cat you you might want to just give it nettle seeds they work fantastic for dogs and cats i mean really well to bring down the excellent stuff hmm. i've been using this for many years since the first time i read this thing from jonathan treasure i thought oh i'll try that mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's it's incredible it's oh, great that's wonderful to hear right so that's one thing and then you know they may be losing their eyesight Usually their sense of smell remains relatively good hmm. until old age. But when their sense of smell, when they start losing that, they may suddenly not want to eat stuff because they can't smell it. Hmm. So what can you do? You can heat up the food. It smells more. Hmm. Like just picture a steak. You've got a raw steak in your fridge. Can you smell it? No. When do hmm. you start smelling the steak? When it's in the frying pan or on the grill. That's when you're like, mm, somebody's making steak. Hmm. So you can help old animals by cooking or heating their food to help them with the smell. Also, they may have trouble chewing if they have tooth issues or digestive hmm. issues. So you might need to switch them to ground meat, lighter hmm. digestive foods, not feed bones and stuff. Hmm. Hard to digest things. They may have problems. A lot of animals, if they have back problems, when they squat to take a poo, it hurts. So they don't squat as often, and then they get constipated more easily. Mm. The longer the feces sits in the intestine, the drier it gets. Mm -hmm. You may want to just add some psyllium to their diet and make sure that they're having ease with bowel movements to see about joint pain. If they're in pain, there's lots of great supplements, also anti-inflammatory herbs that you can use there, you know, things, just things like curcuma, you know. And I was of, just going to ask about turmeric and if that's something that. Uh, yeah, you said turmeric, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually you make, uh, we call it the golden paste. I have mm. a recipe in German, but <laughs> I need to start translating more stuff. Okay. That works really well. You know, with dogs, you can use the basically the same herbs as with people. You can use willow and stuff like that. But also nutritional supplements like New Zealand green lip muscle, omega 3 fatty acids are basically important with any kind of inflammation or, or pain you know they're just they really should be supplemented best is if there's a little bit of vitamin e with it these chondroitine glucosamine supplements msm they're all really helpful for joint pain this kind of stuff and then there's some great tonics like we make a tonic mixture i call senior fit phyt like phyto <laughs> Nobody gets it, but uh, <laughs> it just has different tonic herbs. It has some tonic for the eyes, for the ears, for the digestion, the liver, the kidneys. You know, just a real gentle kind of tonifying. And there's some there's some good Chinese mixtures. 
this, uh, what is it called? The Great Tonifying Decoction. Shikwanda Bu, I think it's called, yeah. Don't nail me on that. I'm not sure if that's the right name. I think it's Shikwanda Bu. That are just great all-around tonics. You can, like, give them something for their immune system. Astragalus is really good for that with cats and dogs. It kind of tells the immune system, wake up, pay attention, you know. So that's a good herb to take if you're coming into a season when illness comes. A lot of times, like in Germany, a lot of dogs in the in the spring, the first warm days, this kind of diarrhea goes around. Mm-hmm. You know, with people, it's mostly in the fall, the wet, cold weather, where you'd want to take a stragglers to get your right now you probably want to take it all the time yeah <laughs> i am <laughs> pandemic <laughs> yeah so yeah crazy times we're living in definitely oh my last question for you regarding animals is of a personal nature my dad he lives in the tropics in mexico and so it's you know pretty hot and humid there and his best friend is kiko and they are inseparable. And Kiko often gets hot spots. And I, I know that you don't do like, oh, take this herb for the hot spot. But, you know, somebody, if a dog comes to you with hot spots, like what are things you're considering thinking about, you know, that okay. might underlying causes? Well, the, the well, I kind of look at a hot spot like this kind of volcanic eruption. So you basically something hot is building in the body and can't find a way to exit. It's usually just toxicity. So it'll find a way out and then it creates this hot spot. So that's kind of my picture to that. What underlying is usually you want to treat the the digestive tract with, with probiotics. Hmm. You know, give them probiotics for a month, some good mixture of probiotics. You want to clean the blood like liver herbs. You know, if you have skin problems, just remember when you have skin problems, treat the liver. Very simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a basic tenet, right? Yeah, it is. There's always that like desire to just want to treat it topically, but that's generally not going no, to be. No, I'll give you. So you, you want to treat the liver, use alternatives, liver herbs, cooling herbs, because hot spot. So again, like um, the bird would be a great, great choice yeah. there. And then, you know, usually a, a lot of these dogs are not on a great diet. So that might be something he needs to change. Also good here are lymphatics. Mm-hmm. fevers, calendula, that kind of thing internally. Externally, what works great on a hot spot <laughs> is uh, just to buy some cheap black tea bags in the supermarket, the cheapest ones. Hmm. Soak them a little in water and put it on the hot spot. Dries it up pretty quickly. Because there's so stringency it. there. That stringency right. It kind of draws well. out right. the gunk, right? So you could do that. Mm-hmm. That you can always find everywhere in the world. So that's pretty yeah. easy you know, drying things, but it's not solving the problem. He's going to just going to keep on getting hot spots. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a long coated dog. It can be a reaction. Uh, like if, if it's a dog that's in the water every day and never really dries, mm. that create a kind of bacterial infection on the skin that looks like a hot spot. But you usually see that with dogs like Huckleberry that are just always in the pool. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah or reacting to some kind of spot-ons or, or flea stuff but mm-hmm. you know i have to know more about the dog where are the hot spots right, right, right. Get them. but basically you want to you want to detox a little bit clean up the microbiome and then topically uh you could put calendula on it too right and i wouldn't use a salve i would use a, a tincture you mm. can dilute it because the salve's just going to you, you might get a secondary bacterial infection if you put fat over it. So you right. want to, you want something drying. A hot spot is always very moist, mm-hmm. very, you know, it's very smelly, moist, and hot. Yeah. So drying things. Right? That's, and, those are great tips. Thank you so much. And literally, that. black tea bags work really well. Propolis, you can try if the dog is or cat. Well, cats, I haven't really seen hot spots, but uh, propolis can be quite helpful. Oh, nice. And as a tincture again. Tincture. All right. Well, Sonny, you keep mentioning all these resources that you have in German. When are you going to be producing things in English for us? 
Well, um, in Germany, I've been teaching for many years and I teach live classes. It's kind of exhausting after a while. I've had up to seven classes a week. And so I'm, this mm -hmm. is, I'm starting my last classes now. So I'm doing one more herb class, one more TCM class and one more nutrition class. And then I'm finished. And after that, I'm going to stay in France for a while and translate everything into English. And I'm going to pre-record everything. So the idea is kind of have pre-recorded classes and then maybe do a Q&A session once a month. Mm -hmm. My students love my ask me anything sessions anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> yeah, because they have all kinds of questions. So, so that's the plan, you know, and then life happens and pandemics happen. So it, it's taking longer than I would have liked. But, mm -hmm. And I'm also hoping to finish fixing the house in France and maybe having like smaller groups there. I think we will mm. be able to sleep like 14 people when it's done. Wonderful. That'd be cool, yeah. right? Yeah, it'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that I'm not the only one looking forward to your English offerings. So that will be yeah. something I will definitely let everybody know once they exist and, and you know, have you back on too. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. 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 Promotion. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to, it's going to take a while because my scripts are really long too. So mm -hmm. it's like 500 pages. So it's a lot of stuff. Wow. wow. That's just, wow. that's just a nutrition class. So, uh -huh. yeah. Well, you are a gift to the herbal world, to the animal world. And I'm uh -huh. just so appreciative that you're here with us sharing your experience and practical wisdoms. Thank you so much, Swani, for, for taking well, time to be here with us. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me. So this fun speaking English. I have to get used to that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you do it so well. So. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I learned everything in English, but the last 25 years, I've basically been speaking German all the time. Except yeah, abroad, yeah. So. Well, may this be the first of many English offerings from you. We're looking forward to it. Me too. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sonny. Thank you. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to the recipes Swanee is sharing with us, including Swanee's Paw Salve and the German Carrot Soup. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can also visit Swanee directly at 3-dogs-night.com. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists, gardeners, and plant-centered folks like you. I'm so glad that you're here and a part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.